0: Hello and welcome to the Raw, our brand new SCFC podcast brought to you by the Sunland Echo team. The blare was back on. Can you believe it? Richard Biney here, and I'm joined by our chief Sunland writer Phil Smith. Morning. Uh, plus Mark Donnelly. Morning. James Copley is off this week, sunning himself. Although he promises he will edit this later on, so hopefully.
1: Sunning himself in Glasgow, is he? <laughs> yeah.
0: I think he might have picked the wrong place. Maybe, then. perhaps, yeah. We wish you a happy uh, holiday, James. Uh, unbelievably, the powers of be have asked us to come back on, so I guess this is a weekly podcast now, which is uh, good good news. Uh, as there's much to discuss, uh, we'll be discussing the Ipswich showing last week. Um, Accrington was at a turning point, and of course we'll... Uh, discussed in depth, Jack Ross. Um, They're all on the agenda today, plus we'll have our Pompey predictions this week and our reader Q&As. Let's kick off then with a look back at the last week or so, Uh, Ipswich away last weekend, Uh, another one I'll draw for Sunderland, Um, second of the season, 21st league draw of Jack Ross's Sunderland reign. Um, What was your two-word review, Phil? Um, You can have more than two words if you want.
1: Uh, well, I think you, you need you need two two word reviews, don't you? The first half, which was absolutely dire, and the second half, which was kind of better. Yeah, I think um, it's a fair reflection yeah. I think you know the the, the weird thing about the first two games of the season, from a league perspective, is obviously you have that kind of oh same old, same old two one one draws, but it's a quite kind of a strange one because the games were so separate in terms of how they played out that it's very difficult to make definitive conclusions about yeah. the team from them so you had the first week which was suddenly playing okay but lacking a little bit in the final third and you know being, not being as clinical as they should have been and then you had the Ipswich game where they were just battered for 45 minutes you know there's no two ways about it Ipswich had a very simple but well executed game plan which was to just fire the ball in between those gaps between the centre backs and the wing backs to old-fashioned number nines in Norwood and Jackson who just chased everything down pressed aggressively and someone just didn't really stand up to it. I thought they were bullied in the first half. The second half they were they were quite a bit better. Um not amazing. You know, they weren't kind of battering the door down. But then when you think about it, if they were away at Portman Road, should they be battering the door down? It's always going to be a fairly even game. So in that sense it was probably pretty much more what you would have expected. Um so quite strange in the sense that two games with very, very different problems, very, very different structural problems, which I suppose in one way is worrying. Um but it also makes it hard to draw kind of
0: sweeping conclusions about the state of the team I think. In isolation I guess uh, pointing away at a team that's just come down and you would class certainly as a promotion rival this year would be would be seen as a good result wouldn't it? It's just that overall sort of context of these, these draws and potentially Jack Ross not knowing his best team or system yet and changing the system three times within the space of about 50 minutes or so of the shape but does he deserve credit for that I guess for, yeah, for th- recognising
1: those? I, th- I think so I mean I think you have to acknowledge that clearly his selection and his tactics whatever were wrong because of the way the game started he, yeah. would, he would say well okay fair enough but it's also because of the players lacking application and that's fair as well. I mean I think that you would always rather your manager recognise quickly when he's getting it wrong and his team are going down and change it rather than being stubborn and just letting the game drift and Completely saying, oh well, the players didn't execute it. So you try to change it. You'd rather he got it right from the start, clearly. And you know, there's a big and fair debate about what the best eleven is and what the best way to go is on a weekly basis because they do need that continuity. But having said that, I would always rather have a manager who quickly in the game will say, well, hang on, this isn't working. Let's try and make something happen. And at least, they, you know, they should never have got a point out of that game after the way the first half went. And that's concerning and needs to improve. But it. It's good that they found a way to dig something out of the game, even if they should have been well out of it. You know, so I, I do think you have to give a small, small amount of credit for
0: that, definitely. Uh, Mark, you weren't at the game, but you were watching from afar. What was your your take on the the point and uh, Sunderland's start to the season in the league?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I think I'd agree with Phil. You've got to, you know, in terms of a two-word summary, I think you've got to probably say decent result, given how the first half panned out. Um, you know, it's probably one of those if you'd have been offered a point beforehand, you would take it, and it might be a point Sunderland look back on at the end of the season and think. That was a you know not a decent afternoon's work, but a decent reward for for a much improved second half performance. Oh, um, sorry. Obviously, you know the draws are a concern. That's that's got to change, and there is maybe now a little bit of pressure on this Portsmouth game this weekend, because if you you know three games in without a league win, you know qu- questions do start to be asked. But on the other hand, you know as Mark McNulty was quick to point out on Tuesday, they're unbeaten. They've scored in every game. There's no real need to massively panic at the moment, and I think as Phil said you'd rather Jack Ross was changing things up a little bit, trying different things to, if, if things clearly aren't working.
0: Paul Lambert couldn't believe his side hadn't scored more than one goal in the first half when he was uh, speaking to the press post-match and he was sort of lambasting their terrible defending for that. Equalised, but I guess it just showed that um, work ethic from McNulty to, yeah, to, yeah, to, def- to chase down and, and create that chance for Gucci. De- de- definitely.
1: I mean, I, I like McNulty's performance because in the first half, to be honest, and, and you'll know because he was sat next to me, I was absolutely tearing my hair out because he was caught offside from dead goal kicks, yeah, free yeah. kicks a couple of times, which is my pet hate in football. It just I always just think of Ben Gianni when he had a loan spell at Sunderland, and he used to come on in stoppage time and find a way to get caught offside <laughs> like three times. Sometimes when Sunderland didn't even have the ball, it was ridiculous. And he was giving away cheap fouls. Um and so I was getting frustrated with that element. But what I liked about it was it was him because he was playing up front on his own he's he's a player. He wants the ball at his feet, he wants players around him. And because of the way the game was going, it was all long balls against two huge centre-halves. He's never going to win that battle. And although I was frustrated at the time and getting wound up, when I look back on it, I think, well, actually, there's someone who was trying to make something happen, even in a game that wasn't suiting him. Mm. He wasn't hiding. He was trying to make something happen. He was trying to get into a scrap. He was trying to get his team up the pitch. And in the second half, he got his rewards because, yeah, it's a terrible defensive error, but he's put himself in the right position. He's put a bit of pressure on, and he's got a bit a slice of luck. So in some ways, although in the first half I'm I'm tearing my hair out. When I look back, I think actually that's a, a sign of a good character. Really, who even though the game wasn't suited to him, and even though he have been unbelievably frustrated that he didn't have players around him he could bounce off and play, and he was trying to spark something. He was trying to trying to make something happen, and, and that's a really good sign. And then if you play like that every week, you know there'll be team there'll be days when the team around you's better, and that's when you get your rewards. And Tuesday night was a fantastic example of that. He looks like such a Early days, but he looks like such a clever little pickup. He's such a lively player, great awareness, great vision, totally unselfish, which is not something you always see in a strike. Yeah, yeah. Um, it looks to me like really, 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 really good recruitment. I think he's been one of the big positives so far, and, and fingers crossed he'll continue in that vein.
0: I think first half we were feeling it might be a repeat of the Ipswich game from a couple of years ago. It was, back yeah, we were, jo- we were
1: joking last week, weren't we, about um, my washing machine going bust and goals Did it survive scoring, you know, this week? It did survive oh, this week, yeah. But there was a God. moment, there was a moment in the first half where I was getting a little bit nervous. <laughs> but um, and you know, we, to be fair, we for all the criticisms you can level at this squad of players, we've seen over you know the course of a year they don't roll over. Mm-hmm. They no, tend, they do, they very rarely get beaten, and they certainly don't get beaten by big score lines. Yes, you would like to see them win a lot more games and become more convincing in their play, but you have to say this is not a group of players who have ever rolled over for ninety minutes. Um, that's never been the way with them, and, and you know you you have to balance any criticism out by acknowledging that they're, they're not a team who get
0: who get battered at all, really. And we we enjoyed our trip to Ipswich. We had a nice little six-hour drive down on the Friday in the leafy Lechworth. battling the wind and the rain on the A1, and then um, it was one of the better hotels I've
1: stayed at. I, d- I, I do I do feel like it's been, yeah. Three, I can't believe we're three games in the season. It's, uh, <laughs> it's going to be a long year. It is, isn't it? You forget, you forget just how punishing league one is. I'm shattered in the Cheddar Trophy, hasn't oh, even. <laughs> sorry, the Leasing dot com Trophy, yeah, has not even begun. Oh,
0: we've not told Mark. Mark's covering the Leasing dot com. <laughs> it's, <forget>. it's a <laughs> one man really, job. It's idea. a one man job that year.
2: <laughs> the Turk of the sports desk his, his Leasing dot com Yeah,
0: no live blog, just one man job. Um, but yeah, no, we had a room each in the hotel. It was good, wasn't it? Yeah. Better than uh, better than your first away trip with the echo was it, you slept on the floor I think didn't you? yeah that was after after a
1: fairly average performance against Leicester City <laughs> if I remember rightly um, <laughs> good days
0: halcyon days, days. Um, right moving on then quickly because uh, games come thick and fast to uh Akron and Stanley on Tuesday um, you two were at the game what was your your verdict on that uh, obviously a League Cup win but an important win nonetheless for, for Sunderland and some key players getting goals
1: yeah I think pretty good would be my my two-word review Um I thought there was some some really impressive well yeah some really impressive performances I thought max power in in midfield was was excellent I thought he had the basics there in terms of he competed well he you know he, he won 50 50s he put himself about but then the other side was also there I thought he in terms of his game intelligence and understanding I thought he was ahead of anyone else on the pitch really and um, really really good He's given Jack Ross a big decision to make because we've spoken and written glowingly about George Dobson, and rightly so, but he's got a big cul mate there now, which is, which is a good dilemma to have. And I thought aleem Ozturk at the back looked really good. I mean, Aleem, his distribution is something that can definitely improve, and I think at the start of the second half when Sunderland not so much had a wobble, because they weren't really being penned in, but their football wasn't as good as it had been in the first half. And Aleem was probably one of those players who was a little bit guilty of playing those kind of aimless long balls that this Sunderland can sometimes get sucked into, but he won everything in the air, never really got beaten, made plenty of tackles, did the basics well. He just looked like what he looked at the end of last season, which was the kind of defender you probably need in League One. So a big tick to him to be looking to be seen and be in that form that he had at the end of last year. And if he keeps doing that in the opportunities he gets, it's going to be very difficult to leave him out of League One games because he looks, at the moment, pretty
0: well suited to the suited to the challenges. Jack Ross was obviously asked again about his system and the system changing and to a flat back four and he was a bit tetchy, I think it's fair to say, post-match about that particular issue. But um, if you're playing four at the back, do you think Willis and is a good good way to go it? Yeah, forward? I
1: think Willis is one who, I think so far, fans have been a little bit disappointed by and I can understand that because he's looked uncertain in his first couple of games. But the more I watch him, the more I just think it's going to happen for him at this club because he's just got such good attributes. He's really, really, really quick the accounting game I could you you almost you can see him settling into it. Mm-hmm. He was you know, there's been a bit of criticism about him not being great in the air in the first couple of games. I haven't seen the stats but I can't imagine he lost any aerial duels the other night. He was really, really dominant. So I think Willis is someone who I think will come good. And he does look like he has a decent little they did look like a little decent little partnership, especially when you think they're playing against two centre forwards as well, the way Akron were playing, so Definite signs of encouragement. I mean the system things you mentioned, it's a really interesting one because by the time Jack spoke to us, I think he was a lot more um right. I think he maybe got something out of his system a little bit. <laughs> right, he was okay. a lot more balanced than yeah. his It's an interesting one. It's um it's it's never a good look to be defensive after a couple of games of the season. Yeah. On the one hand I can understand it because I do think discussions about systems probably are over in the modern game. I think it's more about combinations and about personnel than it is kind of rigid systems. Having said that, you know you can't deny that taking out a centre half and playing Will Grigg instead is going to change the way you play. I mean that's you know that's just an obvious thing and mm. it's obvious for people to comment on it and discuss it as well. Um, but I would agree with what he would also say is that what was more important the other night was that Sunderland competed first and gave themselves a platform to play. And I think that's what the point he's trying to make, rather than talking about systems he's trying to make the point that you have to do the fundamentals first and that's what gives you the platform to go and show your qualities and that's probably what the story of Tuesday night was I don't know what Mark made of it but Sunderland were a bit more open they gave acting chances to counter they left a lot of space but they battled hard and they gave themselves opportunities to create chances and score goals and sometimes you think Sunderland should play like that more often because they should back themselves to score more goals in the opposition if both teams have a couple of chances so it's interesting to see how what he'll take away from that and how we'll how we'll go moving forward.
0: Mark, what was your take on a the new pitch, b the tight press box, and c the game at the Wham
2: Stadium? Well, a I mean the the pitch was absolutely stunning. You know, Andy Andy Holt was kind Spent of Spent big money, in, haven't they? Yeah, Spent about three hundred and fifty thousand. There was a new new speaker system, um, but the pitch was stunning and it, it really helped Sunderland. I think early on, I mean, you saw for the first goal the move they put together and, and the finish from McNulty was brilliant. Um, don't think that kind of crisp. Quick passing would have been possible on that surface last year. Um, the tight press box as an experience. I feel like I know Phil, <laughs> Phil better than I. Mm-hmm. I did before. He almost knocked me out when he thought Alan Ozturk was going to score uh, five minutes in from the corner. <laughs> oh no, man,
0: I would have been on the pitch. You know I, was, what? I was getting ready to go on the pitch there. That would have been some moment. You know what I like about the Accrington uh, press box is when Barnsley's on and there's the two... Season ticket holders, the two ladies it's in front. I was the four of them.
1: It's four generations of the same family. Oh, uh, okay. Right. Um, Very good feature. Which which is, with it, it. it is absolutely fantastic because it's yeah, four generations who just absolutely love the club. Um, oh, it's brilliant. They were when John Coleman and Jack Ross had a little to do towards the end of the game. Yeah. <laughs> the the um, the oldest of the uh, four was on her feet. You know, go on, John. Go on, John. <laughs> 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 which I, I thought was. Um, which I thought was just fantastic. It's actually interesting because um, there's a guy who sits right next to the dugout yeah. and just uh, barracks yeah. the away dugout for yeah. 90 minutes. He abuses James Fowler relentlessly. Yeah. Um, lots of jokes last year about, is this an episode of Still Game? <laughs> um, all that kind of stuff. And we're wondering if it's a plant. Yeah, we're wondering if it's a deliberate tactic to try and rattle the opposition box. Is, yeah. is this a guy who's been put there every week to sit yeah. there? And I like this. This is an episode of still game. Though. I thought it was quite weird. But yeah, it's because it's, it's a very it's, re- it's very open there, isn't it? there's yeah, no, no yeah. hiding place for um, manager or players. Great place to watch football. though I have to say, and it's a, it's really really good to see a club who's above their station. Probably won't be in League One for that many years, but they're using the extra revenue to invest in the club and the facilities. Mm-hmm. And I think that's. I think that's absolutely fantastic. I know there was, I know a lot of Southern fans last year felt felt let down about the abandoned game and the tickets and having yeah, to yeah, re-buy. Yeah. And, and yeah. I think that's I think that's fair. Um, but full full credit to a club that's investing in its current situation in the right way, rather than
0: just spending money on players. It won't be there in two years' time. It's it's really good. It's all you could hear on the radio commentary: the, the four women arguing in front. Uh, Mark, sorry, what was your take then on um, on the game itself and uh, the, the changes Jack Ross made, which ultimately ultimately paid off? Yeah, I think it was
2: a really bold move. Um, I think Sunderland really started well, and that's probably been the problem a little bit. Is sometimes they start well, don't capitalise on it, then there's the temptation to sit back or the opposition get a bit of a foothold. It was important getting that early goal, and I think speaking to, to Mark McNulty after the game, he was, you know, he was very clear that. Getting that first goal was the key for them because as soon as the opposition scores, we've seen countless times they just sit in and make it difficult for Sunderland. So that the, the, you know this entire season, getting that first goal is going to be key. Uh, I thought again, Lyndon Gooch played well. He's starting to look more like the player we saw start of last season, who obviously earned himself that new contract. Echo Phil's thoughts on Max Power. I thought he was convincingly the best player on the pitch. Um, and Charlie Wyke I think it was good to see him get off the score
0: sheet it's you is know, your, is your favorite in Charlie Wyke you have been fiercely, backing him since he signed the score goals at this level Charlie
2: Wyke uh, <laughs> since he arrived and I, I do still think he'll score goals he did,
0: um, uh, he did prove you right then towards the end of last season
2: he did he did and i think if you give him the service he will score goals i think if he's if jack ross is playing a 2 whether that's with four at the back with three at the back i think that would suit charlie wyke a little bit better you know you could see him and McNulty... You know, it was only 10, 15 minutes, but they were linking up fairly well. You know, there could be a little bit of promise there, especially if if Will Grigg's still struggling for form a little bit, um, and obviously Aidan McGeady, I mean, the the goal was just something else. Yeah, it, it was, was going to take something like that to win it because it was, as I think John Coleman said, kind of it was just petering out to penalties. Yeah. Um, but that was just a real glimpse of what he can do, and and hopefully more of that to come. Now he's stepping up his return.
0: Just very quickly, Phil, if you if Ross plays two up front Saturday, which two would you play?
1: hat on, I'd play, I'd play McNulty and Grigg. Yeah, Grigg was very close to scoring twice yeah. on Tuesday night did he look at his absolute best? No but he got into some good positions I feel like because of the struggles he's going through at the moment, an average performance can be yeah. over-scrutinised a little bit, and don't get me wrong there have been some really poor performances recently and I wouldn't, I wouldn't challenge that, but I thought he looked okay the other night, I really did um, I think it'll if he keeps putting in that level of performance, he keeps getting in those positions, and Sunderland playing like that, you know, I, I do think he'll get the odd goal. So, at this point, especially because you know, White's w- not quite there with his match fitness still, so I would have no problems picking Will Grigg on Saturday. I really wouldn't. But of course, the onus is on him to to, to find that goal from somewhere.
0: Talking of tight press boxes, Luton's pretty snug in it. Everton, Everton's the worst. Everton's the worst. The worst. Just yeah. to actually get into. Yeah. So hopefully that'll
1: change with a new stadium. Apparently someone. Um, Apparently, because obviously the, the little gate to get into the press box is so small. Yeah. Apparently, someone actually fell over last year, so I think they're having to. Oh, okay. I think yeah. they haven't. So, someone I think it's taken one, taken one
0: for the team. one <laughs> for the team, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Brentford. Borum Wood, and you have to pay for the privilege. Oh, yeah, you've got to pay to get in there, haven't you? And uh, South End, which for me just belongs, Roots Hall just belongs in the non league, but um, but that was probably um, overshadowed by the, the result that day, anyway. Cool, good stuff. Moving on then um, to the McDuo, Aiden and Mark. Um, We'll touch on it briefly, but just sort of very quickly, um, McGee to start on Saturday, I think he looks pretty sharp, would you say?
1: Yeah, definitely, I thought he looked well off it last Saturday, um, clearly the team wasn't playing very well, but I, I don't think he helped, but yeah, on Tuesday he, he looked really sharp from the moment he came on, he just gave you that impression straight away that he was going to make something happen, he looked really at it. Um, Ackerman didn't defend his and you could just tell he was picking up good spaces and lovely, lovely little pass to Liam McNulty when he hit the bar and you kind of felt then that some that the tie, he turned the tide a little bit and the goal's just fantastic and I think it's revealing about Magida because everyone talks about his quality and his ability but the thing that Aidan probably hasn't an, had enough credit for over the last year is is his tenacity actually and his willingness to to work hard and, and the way he nips in and pinches the ball, the intelligence and the tenacity to do that I think sums up why he's been such a good player for Sunderland of late. That's a good sign because that's when you know he's at his best. That's when you know he's sharp and he's at it. So, fingers crossed, you can take that into the game on Saturday. Uh,
0: We're at the halfway stage of our um, new podcast, uh, The Raw. Uh, We're recording this at the University of Sunderland. So, uh, thanks to them. Um, And as ever, we would love to hear your your stories, um, anecdotes, um, questions for any of the team. Um, You can get in touch in the usual places or just tweet sun echo SAFC and um, we'll look to sort of read some of them out. Uh, as we go each week we'll also have um regular guests popping in as well as well as the three four of us doing this every week so um and we'll look to uh certainly do this every week so that's that's good moving on um jack ross then obviously a big talking point after couple of draws, a lot of people were discussing his future at Sunderland and, and how much pressure he was under obviously Sunderland last year narrowly failed to win promotion um, a lot of successes last season in terms of getting to the Checkatrade trade trophy final and the playoff final but just, just falling short um, obviously investment etc didn't happen in the summer but even if that did, Jack Russell would have been in charge so there was a clear backing from the club there but I guess naturally if Sunderland weren't going to get off to sort of back-to-back wins or whatever then Spotlight's obviously going to focus on the manager, given that he's been there fifteen months or so. Where do you two stand on Jack Ross and and the the view amongst the Sunland fans? Which seems uh, I mean, at the minute it seems a lot of them, sort of the vacuum of Twitter, doesn't it? Certainly, at games and things, there seems to be a lot of support for the manager and the players still.
1: Yeah, it's a uh, it's a difficult one, really. I mean, I think there's a fundamental. Uh, fact here that Jack Ross needs to get the team promoted this year. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of different elements to this. My kind of take on it, which I think has been fairly consistent since it came to the club, was the b- biggest budget thing is distorted. It might be factually true, but I don't believe this season that Sunderland's budget is absolutely ridiculously huge compared to some of their rivals at the top of the table. I'm not saying that they shouldn't be up there or that they're paying a lot of money because clearly they are. But if you take Will Grigg out of it, yeah. for uh, I don't think Sunderland have been paying huge fees or absolutely huge wages in comparison to other teams. Having said that, they have a squad of players and a team of players who should be up the top and mm. in two years should probably deliver promotion. So that's the pressure for us. I've never bought into the best squad in, on paper in the league. I don't think it's absolutely streets ahead of their rivals. Yeah. We look at Luton last year. How many of their players got picked up by big championship clubs and even mm. Premier League clubs? Both their full-backs went to good Premier League teams and they'll play a lot of games this year. Barnsley centre their halves, signed by big championship clubs. Charlton have sold players to big championship clubs. So I don't necessarily believe that Sunderland's team is absolutely miles better than the opposition. So I'm probably more forgiving on the results that Jack's produced than some supporters and that's a matter of opinion other people will disagree and say that their team is miles better which is fair enough but having said that I think it's just the reality that you have to get the team up this year because if you don't win promotion in two years I think everyone would acknowledge that the time would probably be right to give somebody else a go mm-hmm. depending on the circumstances obviously so that pressure is going to be there from this year and that's part of being a Sunderland manager and I don't think it's too demanding I don't think it's excess- excessive I just think it's a reality in Jack's a very ambitious person in terms of what he wants to do in his career, so it's something he'll have to learn to work, work in and mm. work with, and I, and I think that pressure is fair enough. Uh, Sunderland don't want to be in League One for a third season, and yeah. although I've kind of just spoken there at length about why they, have, you know, why we have to be realistic about where the squad and stuff is, I also do believe that it's perfectly entitled if you're a Sunderland fan to not want to be in League One for yeah, a third yeah, season, yeah, for sure. yeah. and you don't want to be in League One for a third season. So I think there's those two things bouncing against each other. I'm probably more forgiving on the work he's doing and the squad he's building than some at the same time I think promotion has to be the goal this year and if the team isn't playing well enough or isn't in a strong enough position in the table to look like that's going to happen there's, there's going to be huge pressure and, yeah. and I think that's just the reality of something and that's how it should be because that's how it should be at a big club you should expect them to, to be performing
0: well and to be, to be pushing for the championship because patience will naturally be a lot thinner this year won't it because last year everything was um, you know there's a lot of issues off the field as well that had to be sorted out um, following the takeover and the financial pressures and cutting you know various budgets etc and getting rid of some players and also um, you know there was a bit of a novelty factor as well wasn't there about League One and taking these huge away crowds to, to various grounds but but that's not there this season is it? as I said there isn't any patience someone would have to string together a run of wins pretty pretty quick you would have thought.
1: Yeah and, uh, and I said this when I was on, um, I said this pre-match with, with Barnsley on BBC Newcastle before the Ipswich game actually because there was a bit of talk about fan fan expectations and what have you and sometimes that side of it can get exaggerated as well in terms of what the fans are demanding, I mean I, I, I don't believe there are very many supporters at all who were demanding 4 5 nil wins every week, Yeah. I think what most supporters want to see is the side that's playing well enough on a weekly basis and with a level of control suggests over a course of the season they're going to win a lot of games and that will get them promoted I think that's perfectly reasonable yeah. for a Sunderland want League 1 to expect the first two games we probably haven't seen that so there's an improvement that needs to be there so I think it's a balance I think it's a, there's still, there still needs to be a recognition about the players that Sunderland have got the transition they're in the balancing of the squad which is still going on in my opinion um, balanced against the fact that yeah okay it is a big budget and they are a good bunch of players and yeah they probably should be up there and they should certainly be challenging for automatic promotion if not in those top
0: two so those two things kind of balanced against each other I think. A uh, win Tuesday certainly lifted some pressure but obviously we're back to league action on Saturday with a visit of Portsmouth to the Stadium of Light and uh, Mark what's your take on um, the Jack Ross situation ahead of ahead of Saturday's game which if they fell behind again could get a bit a little bit tetchy potentially although we've not seen that hugely at the Stadium of Light so far.
2: Yeah, I think there, there is a lot riding on the Portsmouth game. As I said earlier, if you go three games into the season without a win as, as a team that should be really considering themselves one of the favourites for promotion, you do start to get a little bit nervous, a little bit edgy. I think, you know, a lot of reading a lot of stuff on Twitter, a lot of Sunderland fans kind of criticism of Jack Ross is he doesn't know his best team or he doesn't know his best system. Um, obviously, after over 12 months in the job. But, I, I mean, I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. I think Sunderland have got by League One standards a fairly big squad when everyone's fit obviously you've got you know Ethan Robson Duncan Watmore Glenn Luven's out at the moment I don't think rotating the squads necessarily a bad thing
0: they've also got a lot of players who are at a similar level aren't they so.
2: yeah the, 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 there's a lot of players you'd say there wasn't much between yeah. in terms of quality in terms of fitness um, I think rotating the squad's not like I say a good thing it's a long season as we saw last year 60 odd games you've got to use your squad and I think while well, that can be perceived as not knowing your best team it's sometimes quite clever Um, like I say I do understand the frustrations but and I think they'll mount if results don't improve because as as Phil said that expectation's there this year you've not got those mitigating circumstances of the takeover and all the uncertainty but I do still think Jack Ross will deliver success here I think he's a good manager I think he's got a good kind of tactical understanding I think he's got a good understanding of League 1 which will have heightened after last year and I think he can deliver promotion with the squad he's got now
0: And there's a lot of games coming up, isn't there, in August still. uh, We've already had three. I think there's another five, isn't there? Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, I think. Um, So um, a lot of games to go through. Uh, Kicking off, as I say, with Portsmouth at home Saturday lunchtime and then away to Rochdale next Tuesday, which we'll obviously discuss next week. Um, Transfer-wise, still... Uh, similar position to last week really Sunland looking for a left back uh, Jack Ross obviously revealed after the Accuritan game that they'd missed out on four targets who had moved to the Championship various clubs uh, on deadline day last week um, so a bit of a blow there but obviously works long going ahead of September the 2nd
1: yeah very much so um, Chris Weather's been Sunland fan kindly um Compile the list of left-backs who'd moved to the Championship Clubs on, yeah. on deadline day, which I think I retweeted, so anyone can go and have a look at that, which probably gives you a sense of the kind of player they were after. Looked to me like young Premier League loans. Mm. Um, yeah, Ross said that it wasn't quite back to the drawing board. He said they were still working hard on it, but clearly if you've got four potential targets get knocked off your list, then you're going to have quite a bit of work to do. So yeah. It's an interesting one, really. I mean, I still... You know, I've I've written this this week. Uh, it makes you wonder about the decision to sell Reese James. Um, clearly it was a decent move for James in the sense that he got an extra year, so he got that security. He also knew he was going to go f- um Doncaster and be first choice. And I don't want to be too revisionist about it because I've called for Denver Hume to get more opportunities for a year now. I thought he was going to have a brilliant season. I still think he can have a really good season despite how he started. But you do just kind of think we all surely knew that Oviedo wasn't going to come back he was going to leave in some circumstances even if they were not entirely clear so you just kind of think oh are someone going to go out and get someone significantly better than Reese James hmm. probably not i think he was underrated last year he, okay he wasn't always brilliant but he was a regular when they had that 9 10 win game win run at the start of the winter so i think he proved he was a good player um so yeah it's a, it's going to be a, it's going to be a difficult one to get right but hopefully hopefully Denver can bounce back because he's got a huge opportunity this season and hopefully he can go in, and kind of um, get his head together, get get himself right and, and kind of turn it around because he is good enough. I'm convinced he is good enough. It's just about, it's about bouncing back now.
0: Uh, there was some transfer news this morning uh, involving Lee Catamol. Uh, we're recording this on Thursday morning at the University of Sunderland. Um, Lee Catamol training with um, top, top, flight, top flight Dutch team VB, VVV Venlo. Is that right? I don't know how you <laughs> tell so, me. <laughs> yeah. Sounds about right. Uh, following his departure from Sunderland, obviously, earlier this summer, um, after an agreement was reached uh, to So, obviously, end his 10-year stay. And he's now on a trial with a side who finished 12th in the Dutch top tier last season. Uh, Jerome Sinclair's also there at the minute. Um, interesting move, Play Catamore. I think we thought he would certainly move abroad. Yeah, it's... Um
1: yeah, he did an interview last year with a with a PFA, at which point he was still very much a Slum player, and he said then that he'd like to he'd like to try his um, try his hand abroad before he retires. Is it, I think it's probably something that underlines where the gap with Catamol so often has been between the perception of him and the reality. Um, he's always been quite an open-minded footballer. I think very willing to learn, um, and I think a lot of managers. You know yourself, Rich, because I think David Moyes was one of them who came to the club and admitted that he had a perception of Lee Catamore that turned out to be completely wrong. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. I think the the best example is, you know, is Gus Poirier, who was someone who maybe didn't have Lee as part of his plans when he came in because Gus had a way he wanted to play and probably perceived Catamore as someone who wouldn't fit. Catamore reinvented himself as a holder midfielder, which in Poirier's system was a really demanding role and thrived in it. And that shows you that this is a guy who wants to learn different styles different systems learn about the game improve his game and so I'm not particularly surprised to see him go and try his hand abroad he's always someone who I think has been more open-minded as a footballer and than he's been given credit for so good on him I think what a what a good way what a good thing to do at this stage of your career go and get different experiences and I still think one day he might end up as a manager himself and this will all be really good education mm-hmm. for him if he goes down that road.
0: We'll have to get you a flight booked to Ireland you can go and go and speak to. him. Yeah, well there's not many gaps Wherever gap, Benlow is. There's not many gaps in the schedule at the <laughs> moment, is there? So No, that's very true. Um International breaks we'll probably not get either this this year. Lee Burge, I was gonna ask Lee Burge, how did he do Tuesday? Because there's every chance he'll probably play if McLaughlin was called up for Scotland and things like yeah, that. Yeah, I think it's um I think it was an important
1: sign in that sense because Lee was a player who probably better than your normal backup keeper well definitely better than your normal backup keeper at this level and I do wonder if part of the motivation for that was to give someone an opportunity to play through the international break if John McLaughlin was one of only one or two players who got called up and Lee from what we've seen so far and only one competitive game and a couple of friendlies he looks more capable. I thought he dealt really well with the crosses on Tuesday which is always the big kind of question mark you have over keepers at this level he did that well his distribution is really good. He gets really good distance on his kicking, and we saw that for the third goal, which was a, a really good... Yeah, it was a bit of a punt downfield, but you got good distance, put it in a dangerous area. McNulty, as he does, lively, aware of the danger, gets on the end of it and
2: crosses for white. So, yeah, I thought Tuesday night was a big tick for Lee Burge. Full credit to him.
0: Good stuff. You, Mark? Yeah, I thought he looked
2: pretty confident. He didn't have a huge deal to do because Sunderland, especially kind of first half, did manage to limit Accrington to just long-range efforts, really. Yeah not much you could do for the penalty but as as Phil said the worry you know whenever a keeper goes up for a cross who's making a debut or still early on you do have that fear dealt really well with it even you know there was never a point where Akriton were really peppering the goal but when they were putting a little bit of pressure on after Sunderland went 2-1 up and after they scored the penalty he dealt well with that kind of just helped calm things down a little bit and you know his distribution's great which can be key especially late on if you can just kind of transition from defense to attack quite quickly. It's a real help and I think yeah as Phil said you'll be a, a real kind of asset
0: when those international breaks come. Good stuff. Um right then fans are going to be hopefully at the heart of this uh, podcast every week so we've been asking for sort of little anecdotes and any any questions for the team etc um that you might have. So um we'll read out a couple of questions in a in a minute but we've had a couple of little tales um just from over the air really from Folk supporting uh, the lads home and away. Uh, Brian Burnett has been in touch. He's from East Lothian. Uh, he says he's been a Sunderland fan since 1998 when he watched them on the teleview Charlton in the playoff final and he's now 29. Um, Brian remembers coming from Edinburgh to Sunderland on New Year's Day versus Man City, the 1 0 game with his cousin Robbie and his pal Kenny. Hour and a half to kick off with five minutes from the Time Tunnel and his tyre went bang. Three boys didn't know how to change a tyre. Um, so his mate phones the RAC chances of them being busy on year's day were slim but uh, thankfully for us the boy was quick and they made it just in time G scored one one nil Fond memories of that game Brilliant, I mean that, that,
1: um, that last goal is just for me it's one of the high points in Sunderland history because it's just a wonderful glorious like, combination of, of skill, utter luck um, I mean the move starts when Matt Kilgallen makes a block and it hits him on the bum and just deflects perfectly into Seb Larson. He launches the counter-attack. Seb Larson gets to the halfway line and just packs in, just falls to his knees because he's just so knatted. Cessignon then, is where the real quality of the move happens. Brilliant little run. Absolutely fantastic. What a player he was. And then G is obviously offside, yeah. um, which we didn't know until after the game. No, and then, no VAR G, then. We saw nothing before that. We saw nothing after that. And then just this beautiful little moment of composure to just sit Joe Hart down on the floor and just knock it past him and nonchalantly as you like, knock it in. And there's obviously the celebrations where the guy runs on and kisses G and <laughs> G just not looks like he has <laughs> no like concept of what's happening. But um, fair play to G because he's actually had a hell of a career in the Bundesliga since he left Sunderland, so fair play to him. That is one of the best moments, I think, in Sunderland's modern history. Just fantastic. Was so much going on there, so much going on.
0: I don't. You didn't know I was going to read that out. You just vividly remember that goal. Oh, honestly, so, I'll, so much. I'm amazed like, at how, it's like burned, how uh, your it's memories like are. in my brain. That what a what a moment. That's good stuff. Should we reenact it? You be G Mark. Um, Alan Morton has also been in touch. Thanks, Alan. 64 years old. Saw his first game in 1967, 68. Uh, He's from Huntley Spring. Um, actually, sorry, Alan. Just before I read this out, I meant to say I was actually near Wayne in the away end of that game for G's goal. Because my in-laws are Man City fans, so um, they actually got us tickets for the um, to go with them. So we were actually in the away end of the stadium, like for G's go. And they were absolutely (laughs) devastated. So there you go. Uh, Alan, sorry, beg your pardon. Um, When my son was small, I used to take him into the family room upstairs at Roker Park, um, which used to double up as the players' lounge. This was before the game started. I used to have a coffee and read the programme, and Alan... Uh, used to play Sabuio plus other activities. This day, Martin Smith came into the lounge with two young apprentices who sat either side of Martin. I then noticed Martin, who was on the front of the program that day, and I said to Alan, "Why don't you ask Martin to autograph the program?" Which Martin duly did. Then asked Alan if he would like the apprentices to sign as well. To which Alan looked either side of Martin at the apprentices, shook his head, said no, and walked away. Martin looked at me and him at, at him, and both burst out laughing. Martin didn't know what to look, he just shook his head, and the poor apprentices looked a bit embarrassed. I wonder who those, are. I wonder who those apprentices are. I was thinking were. that when it came in, yeah. yeah. Signatures weren't wanted anyway. Dev- devastating. Thanks, Alan, for that. Um, I will move on to a couple of questions. Uh, Linda Hampson from Stoke, been supporting the lads for 40 years, um, asks, we've been through thick and thin with Sunderland, what do you visualise for our future? Asks Linda. Phil, look at your crystal ball promotion, hopefully. This season will be good. Yeah,
1: pr- pr- promotion hopefully, and a bit of um, a bit of clarity on the on the ownership situation. I think that's probably the biggest thing, really. Once once we know that, we'll be able to make much clearer judgments and 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 ask better questions of of, of where the clubs going. And I think that's the over the next year or however long. That's the that's the one thing I think we need we need settled. And I think to be fair, I think the current owners are aware of that as well. Yeah.
0: Uh, John Miller uh, Washington 60 years old says after last season it was stated by Jack Ross that we need to have more pace and power in the side where exactly is it as I can't see it do you agree with that uh, assessment from John Mark or do you think um, more pace has been brought into the side this this summer
2: I think in terms of Mark McNulty maybe he's not the quickest player but he's clever with how he, he does it and he probably but,
0: comes across as a little bit quicker
2: than he is because he's clever with his timing and yeah, his position very direct isn't he yeah Um Obviously, your natural source of pace is going to be Duncan Watmore, um, who unfortunately we've not seen kind of in the early weeks of the season that much, given his injury. I understand because League One is a very physical league, and there's a lot of teams where, especially in their forward lines, they just have quick players, strong players, and they're difficult to deal with. But at the same time, sometimes they're not particularly consistent. I mean, uh, Tarek Foss, who scored on the opening day, is a good example of someone who perhaps is quite powerful quite quick but isn't particularly consistent that's why he finds himself at this level Um, I think it's there you know you could always ask for a little bit more but I think Sunderland probably are a little bit better in that department than they were last year
1: Jordan Willis has got loads of pace I know fans are a little bit down on him because he hasn't played particularly well in the first two games and I'm not going to like you know I I don't want to hype him up too much because he hasn't been brilliant but I think he's going to be a good player and I promise you he's got loads of pace we saw it towards the end of the game at Ipswich He he was one who really stood out once he went to a back four. He looked much happier. And I thought he was good the other night. And he is really quick. I I promise, fans, he is really quick. And hopefully he can put the rest of his game in the right place and and
0: we can see that. And it was good, obviously, that his injury um, wasn't serious. Yeah, really good. I had a couple of tweets
1: tweets saying that was a big positive. And people, and fair enough, were a bit sceptical. Because, like I say, he hasn't been great. So I can see why people think at this point he isn't a major upgrade on some of the defenders. But I, I do... Honestly, I think he might prove himself to be that, and I think he has got good attributes.
0: And in terms of legs and energy, I guess George Dobson adds, adds that into the centre midfield. We saw that at Ipswich, and he spoke well after the game. Young lad, but yeah, speaks so someone I'm, someone I've been, um, been
1: really, really, really impressed with on and off the pitch. I love his backstory, if you like. I think it's so telling about his character and how he understands how he's going to succeed in the game. Love the fact he tried his hand abroad. Was honest enough that it didn't work and that can happen but you've, you've got to try these things to know whether it's right or not. Then made having been to Holland and not work quite work, quite worked out made a brilliant decision to go and slug it out if you like at Walsall, no disrespect to them and really learn about senior football um, and the upshot of it is he's a 21 year old who speaks like a 31 year old with 600 games under his belt and yeah. he was fantastic in that first half, not in spraying 60 yard passes about or producing moments of like, amazing quality on the ball, just in the way he didn't hide, didn't want to accept that the team was playing badly and could go under. He made some big blocks, some really important tackles. No, it wasn't an amazing performance in terms of quality on the ball or whatever, but it was just one of those where you think, well, what, at whatever level, this guy's going to have a good career because he's got real, real ticker. I've, I've enjoyed watching him so far and, and hopefully that continues.
0: Uh, Robert Stewart has been in touch uh, from up in Scotland uh, he runs the Scottish branch of the supporters group up there uh, he's 26 year old thanks Robert he says do you feel Jack Ross needs to be more attack minded when it comes to winning games and do you feel we are missing something that bit extra you've touched on it a bit earlier about the getting that balance right at um, Akron in terms of you know, allowing the opposition to have the ball a little bit more. Um, I guess it's just striking the balance at home yeah, as well. Yeah, it, it, it,
1: it is about the balance. I think, I think Robert's got a point, and as I kind of hinted at before, I do think Sunderland are a better side when they give the, op- the opposition a bit of a chance to get on the ball and have a go at them because I think it creates spaces for Sunderland that can. I think when the game opens up, they look really dangerous. Clearly, though, you know we also saw in some games last season, Accrington at home, where it went too far the other way, and they just gave up too many chances. Coventry and Burton would also be two examples of that. Mm. So you have to balance it. We can't just after a good performance, at and say, oh well there you go, you should play 4-2-4 because last season you got hammered on a couple of occasions when yeah. you tried those really attempt formations and it didn't work. But I do think fundamentally they are they are a bit of a better side when they give the opposition a bit of a sniff. And it was interesting to see John Coleman come after the game, out after the game, say, oh we could and should have won because we had good openings but I kind of think that was part of the game plan. Yeah, I think that was kind of what Sunland wanted to do. They wanted Darrington to come out and play, give them an opportunity, and hopefully kill it off at the other end, and that's what they did. So it's, it is a balance, and we can't be too reactive after one game, but I think there is there is something in it.
0: Uh, Michael Roper uh, from Sunland, a fan since 1988. I almost said 80 and 88. Then He's bloody uh, really old. Uh, no, sorry, Michael. Fan since 88. I feel often Dylan McGeoch is often a scapegoat for criticism from section of the fans. What's your thoughts on him personally? I like him. He's always available for a pass, um, and looks to get the team moving. I think that was going to end with. It. It's just cut off a little bit. Um, Mark, you a fan of Dylan? Dylan McGeoch?
2: Yeah, I am. I think Sunderland keeping him this summer, obviously amid that interest from Aberdeen, was it was a good move. The easy thing perhaps would have been to see it as another wage off the wage bill or another player out what was quite a big squad but I think he offers something a little bit different you've got quite a lot of quite dynamic midfielders in there who can do the running Dylan McGill well he's got that in his locker he's a little bit more calm he's quite good in those kind of delicately poised games he can pick a pass he can just calm things down if things are getting a little bit frantic you know obviously he's been out injured for Tuesday night and he's going to face some real competition with max power coming back and looking good, Grant Ledbetter obviously captain and George Dobson having a really good start to life in in Sunderland but I think he's a, he's a good player, I think I understand the scapegoat thing and he probably was at times last season maybe in the side at the wrong time when they were picking up results and as a kind of a player who was in and out of the team he was maybe an easy one to look at and you know pin a little bit of blame on but I think he's certainly got something to offer Sunderland and I think you know speaking of Hibs fans they can't speak highly enough of him. And if Sunland can get the best out of him, he'll be a cracking player in
0: League One. Uh, Dave from Bristol, we'll end with this in terms of the fans' questions. Um, 50 years been supporting Sunderland. So What's the minimum acceptable league position by Christmas? And in what circumstances, i.e., league position, would you expect the board to change the management team? Uh, in polar opposite to the above question, how much funds would subsequently be necessary to be available next summer, assuming we were to be promoted? Um, it's absolutely essential, and additional investor is found should we achieve promotion. I guess that investment question is it's hard to answer, isn't it? Really, because a lot might happen between now and Christmas, and in terms of next summer. But in, in terms of the um, league position, I mean, Sunderland would certainly have to be up and around. I think last year, didn't Charlie Methan say something like as long as Sunderland running around the playoff situation, they were happy last yeah, year, but this I year there's more pressure. I think pressure,
1: there's two there, parts to that question. One, I don't think you can have an arbitrary, where are at this point kind of thing. I don't think that's productive. But yeah, it's it, like you say, at Christmas, what you want to see is that Sunderland are producing a level of performance more often than not that is conducive to producing results and that they're in a position in the table where they've got a good chance of going up in the top two. That's what we want to see. I'm sure that's what the owners want to see. In terms of the investment next summer, well, clearly it depends on if, if anyone comes into the club. Hopefully, they'll be able to bring in someone who can invest in the facilities, invest in the city, invest in the team. The other side of that, of course, is financial fair play is becoming a big, big thing in the championship. Teams aren't spending a lot of money now because they're aware of those regulations. Obviously, at the moment, some are limited to spending 60% of their turnover on wages. That's the current financial rules. When going go the championship, it changes. So it becomes profit and sustainability. They limit your losses to an average of $13 million a year over a three-year period don't have the recent account numbers at mm. to the top of my head, but that's something people will have to consider um, yes, someone will have to spend to be competitive hopefully they'll be able to bring someone in who is capable of doing that but the game is changing and it's no longer a situation where you can go and spend a, a massive amount but clearly, some element of investment will be needed and hopefully there'll be someone in place alongside the current owners who can make that happen. And Stuart Donald's touched on that recently where he said that would
0: be to Sunderland's advantage if they it, it should to be the It should
1: be, and I know you know, it, it, it should help clubs like Leeds, Sunderland, Sheffield, Wednesday, who can get a lot of bums on seats and sell shirts and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I think it is a good thing generally, but it's just something to be aware of when we think about the long-term future. Yes, you need investment. Yes, you need people who can come in and buy good players at a good age and all that kind of stuff, but you also have to be wary of where the game's going and, and, and have that in consideration as well.
0: Excellent, thank you very much. We'll end this week's Raw podcast with our Pompey predictions. It was Portman predictions last week. Pompey predictions this week. I'll be struggling for Wimbledon. Um, Mark, we'll start with you. How do you think the game will go Saturday?
2: I think it's going to be tough. Pompey obviously coming off the back of two wins. They've got a good squad, a deep squad. They've got some real quality in there now. They've lost some good players in Jamal Lowe and, um, and Matt Clark, but they've, they've added some decent players as well. John Marquis obviously nailed is, is on a, nailed on to score any. He's nailed on a score, yeah. Um but I think Sunderland if they play as they did at Accrington maybe with a little bit more attacking mentality I think they've got enough. Um 2-1, 2-1 Sunderland win.
0: I'm going to go 3-1. I think this will hopefully prove the the turning point in terms of the league form and we'll uh, crack on from here, he says, hopefully. If not then could be an interesting podcast next week.
1: Yeah. I think it'll probably be one one. Do you think? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, which again, yeah. No, I think I think I'm, I I think Sunderland. I, they played well against Portsmouth at home last year, um, on both occasions. So I'm hopeful they'll win two one, and I'm hopeful that Maguire again will will back himself for a big performance on Sky. Mm, yeah, um, and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I'm going to be positive two one
0: good stuff thank you very much uh, and that brings an end to another raw podcast from the sun and echo scfc team hope you enjoyed listening to it uh, as it gives us an excuse to get out the office for an hour or so sadly we've now got to head back there uh head to the echo website for full details full details on how to listen and subscribe to our podcast which is now available in all the um usual good podcast places um any feedback good or bad um let us know plus any questions or um anecdotes etc um, you can email them to me richard.menea m-e-n-n-e-a-r at Uk, and we'll be back next week to uh, hopefully discuss a couple of victories over course with Rochdale, and how Ross is a tactical genius until next time thanks for listening to The Wall